fans, before we go into the podcast, I want to sneak in a little message. The book Inside Melania, What I Know About Melania Trump by Impersonating Her, is so heartbreaking to me because it tells the truth while also being funny. In Slovenia, that is a punishable offense. So I really, really don't want you to buy or look or hear the book because it's now it's available on audiobook Inside Melania. Don't go to the website InsideMelania.com. It would make Donald very mad. The following podcast is a part of RadioMisfits.com. This is episode 121 of Reconcile the Isle. What on earth is going on? Rocket Man. Puerto Rico. Russia, 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 Russia. Eight accusers. Several allegations. Thousands of cases. Charlottesville. Horrific shooting. Deadly school shooting. The third deadly mass shooting in a week. Category four. California wildfires. Entire ecosystems are collapsing. Government shutdown. I've never seen this country divided like this. This is astounding to me. Reconcile the Isle. Welcome to Reconcile the Isle on the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. On this show, my characters and I are trying to figure out how we can have meaningful dialogue about difficult topics. My name is Lauren Lajudice. Today, we're going to speak with special guest Mark Eaton. But first, let's go to our Stupid Stupid People People segment. For those who are new here, it's the part of the podcast where we salute stupidity. Because what unites us across all boundaries, what unites the world is that we hate stupidity. My dad rants about the stupidest person he's seen that week, and then we rate their assholeness in rectums. So here's our segment, Stupid People with my dad, Charles Legitice Jr. Dad, uh, tell us, what was the stupidest person you've come across this week? Well, it's not just one person. It's a a lot of people involved in it. But during... This uh, last storm we had, where I lived, the trees are old. There's a lot of trees down and everything. So I have a tree on the side of my house. It's probably 100 years old. I've been calling for them to cut it down because it's dead, basically. And, like, if you just have a drizzle of rain, I got to go pick up enough branches that I could burn down. It's like a forest fire in California, Okay. But, you know, they come, they send the parks department. And, you know, city workers are not exactly your most aggressive and workers, you know, every one of them just about should be, every paycheck they get, they should be charged with embezzlement. All right? So I called 311. Well, first of all, my tree, they won't declare it dead. So now my tree, it's got the trunk, and then it's got two branches. It looks like a slingshot for Shrek or somebody, okay? That's what this tree is. The guy across the street from me, his tree has a lot of branches and everything on A big branch fell down in the middle of his tree, and it's stuck in those branches. My tree, from all the constant trimming, which I only got two branches left, all the bark is falling off. It's drying in the sand in the Sahara Desert. Well, last time they cut like a branch and they left it like a foot. So now I got this gigantic piece of tree limb hanging that's like a wishbone from a chicken or a turkey, and it's hanging on there. Plus, right on the telephone pole in the power line, there's two gigantic branches hanging on the wires. So I call 311, and I tell them, 
we have these two branches on the two trees, give her the addresses of both houses. And I tell them about the, the power line and they, oh, the power line, you got to call Con Ed. Okay. So I give them all the stuff. We'll check it out and everything. You know, a week goes by or something. I get the text message. We checked out your complaint. We couldn't find what's wrong. You go look at the tree. Now, these, these branches have not gotten any nourishment for a week. The leaves are browner than the last crap I took, okay? To put it mildly, all right? And I'm five and a half feet tall. It's hanging right over the sidewalk, the one, the wishbone one, and it's almost hitting my head. He didn't see that. The other tree that my neighbor has, his tree is full of green leaves, and in the middle is a gigantic spot of dead brown leaves. It looks like you put a fried meatball in a bowl of pea soup, okay? And this guy couldn't see it. So I asked the, the representative from 311, could you tell me who the Parks Department sent? Was it Ray Charles or Stevie Wonder, okay? I don't know who they sent. So I, I now I had to put another complaint in. Also, Con Edison, you know, I put the uh, complaint into them. Not a complaint, you know, there's... There's uh, stuff on the on the power lines. I'm not even parked in my car in front of my house or on the side of my house. I park it down the block, all right? So the first day they had me on hold twice for like 30 minutes and then they just disconnected me. That was on the Tuesday, the day of the storm. And I understand they had a lot of people with power outages, so they had to do that first. Call back Thursday. Everybody has their power by, by now, according to the news, but the, the limbs are still there, you know what I mean? So. I hope it's a Con Ed worker walking by when the limb falls, hits him on the head, and the power line comes down and electrocutes him, okay? That's what I hope. Okay, That's so what is what is this asshole move? How many rectums does this get? Oh, well, the Parks Department, when I complained about the tree, like in January, they came, I think, in April or May, you know, because they're so busy to, uh, to trim the tree. They sent seven trucks. You know what it looked like? You ever see uh, The Longest Day, which is about, you know, World War II and D-Day and, you know, the final push to liberate Europe? You ever see the convoys of trucks? You would think that they were going to kill every Nazi. There were so many trucks, right? And all these guys, you know, one guy's up in the bucket cutting the trees. They fall down. And all the other guys are drivers and helpers. And one guy's picking up a branch, throwing it in the shredder or something. You know what I mean? It's just ridiculous. More wasted money from the city. You know what I mean? How many rectums is that? Oh, well, the guy who came and looked at this tree and didn't find nothing, I know five is the highest rectums, but he's getting a seven, right? (laughs) He's a rectum that's getting a colonoscopy, this guy. This is a seven of five rectums. Wow. People are so stupid. Let's get to our interview with special guest Mark Eaton of the Capitol Steps. Now, the Capitol Steps began as a group of Senate staffers who set out to satirize the very people and places that employed them. The group was born in December 1981, when some staffers for Senator Charles Percy were planning entertainment for a Christmas party. Their first idea was to stage a nativity play, but in the whole Congress, they couldn't find three wise men or a virgin. So they curated song parodies and skits, which conveyed a special brand of satirical humor. 
The performers have worked in a total of 18 congressional offices and represent 62 years of collective House and Senate staff experience, even though at this point, not every single person has worked on Capitol Hill. Since they began, the Capitol Steps have recorded over 35 albums, including their latest, The Lion Kings. They've been featured on NBC, CBS, ABC, and PBS, and can be heard twice a year on the national public radio stations nationwide during Politics Takes a Holiday radio specials. If you're wondering what it's like to work on Capitol Hill from the perspective of a comedian, you're going to want to hear this episode. And you can always sign up at laurenlogie.com podcast to get reminders when we publish this every other week. My co-host Melania Trump, you basically aren't invited to do interviews anymore with me. <laughs> How do you feel about that? Oh, I have so much other stuff to do. Oh, is that because of the upcoming election? No. Because 99 Day Fiancé is getting so good. Yeah, I bet the themes of that show feel familiar, Melania. All right, let's go to the interview with Mark Eaton of the Capitol Steps. Hello, Mark Eaton to Reconcile the Isle. Thank you. Thanks for having me. So, Mark, you were a lobbyist, correct? Uh, I did. I uh, worked on Capitol Hill uh, when I got out of college, and then I climbed into the seamy underbelly of lobbying for a few years. Wow. Uh, Then I lost my mind and started doing this full time. (laughs) (laughs) So what does a lot, so in my mind, a lobbyist delivers suitcases full of money to people they want to (laughs) vote their way. Is that what a lobbyist does? (laughs) If it was that simple, it'd be great. There is some of that, but um, it depends on what you're lobbying. I mean, I was in the super seamy underbelly of the tobacco world. And I actually represented a, a grower group. So people that didn't really have the money, not like the cigarette companies and, and some of those folks. Okay. So like a little bit of a different, a little different vibe. Farmers, essentially. Is that right? The tobacco farmers. Yep. Why do they call themselves growers and not farmers? Huh. Interesting. I guess farmers consider themselves that they grow a lot of other stuff as well. Yeah. Tobacco guys, it's one of the few crops you can just grow over and over and over. We just grow it. Just grow it, man. Grow it. Grow it. Cure <laughs> it. Air dry it. Smoke it. What was the scammiest thing you've ever seen? You don't have to say if it was you, you can do third person. We won't ask that. Scammiest the scammiest, thing. scummiest thing you've been witness to on Capitol Hill. Well, and it's not even really scammy. Or, it's just, you know, senators making a lot of money going to receptions and filling their pockets with food is just mind boggling to me. Wait, 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 wait. Filling their pockets with food. You know, they go, yeah, you're at a reception, you know, for some group or something, and you got a senator that comes in, and they glad hand for five minutes, and then you're going to bolt out of there. They just want to be seen. I and see. they'll fill their pocket with food and go. Like literal food? Literal food. That's something my I, grandma would do. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's face it, most of those guys up there are probably older than your grandma. Wow. I just hope that they line their pockets with foil or something, because that's pretty disgusting. That's insane. So they basically put like a bunch of finger sandwiches into their pocket and then they have Shrimp cocktail, you know, <laughs> everything. They had everything up there. Oh my God. That is just <laughs> next. Oh my God. If I get an interview with any sort of politician, I am going to look at, I'll be like, right now, I want to see your lining your pockets. I want to see if there's cocktail sauce right now. <laughs> you'll probably smell it before you, even, even through the uh, even through Zoom, you'll smell it probably. Yeah. I'd be like, no, and your pants pocket, and your pants, not just the suit. I want to see the whole thing. All right, I won't, I won't, I won't comment on the on the economy you have for your intern. Okay, all right, all right, all right. Okay, so I spent some time in DC. I had friends down there, and they told me there's this thing called skin turn season. Is that really a thing? 
I haven't heard it, but that doesn't mean there wasn't a different term back in a different yeah. time. I well, mean, I worked the, up there in the late 80s, yeah. so. So this was the time of year when you would start to see old, crusty politicians and their young interns at dinner. Uh, yeah, okay. Now you're, yeah, you're, you're on, you're, that's right. That's correct. Correct. That's the time. <laughs> what, what is the skin turn season? Like we have the holiday season and then we have skin turn season for, for Washington. Well, you know, it's just, it's just nice summertime. You got you get the, the younger gals ah. and the, uh, you know, not wearing the bulky sweaters kind of thing. Got it. I, so, um, you know, there's a famous story about Strom Thurmond. I worked for a North Carolina senator and his receptionist was a young lady from South Carolina. And the story is, is that she was running an ice cream stand when she was still in college. Strom Thurmond drove by in his car, stopped, got out, begged her to come to Washington to work. And she eventually did, but not for him. And every time that Strom Thurmond would come to the office, she would grab him at arm's length so he couldn't hug her, you know, because he was just kind of, uh, he was a hugger, let's just say. So do you think Joe Biden's hugging thing was the same strategy or you think that's a different thing? You know, uh, yeah, Joe's got that, got that reputation that he likes to hug, touch, grab, shoulder rub, smell. Did you ever, thing. yeah, did you ever hug Joe Biden? No, I never have personally, no. Yeah. And so I was for Republicans, my, so he probably wouldn't want to hug a Democrat anyway. Yeah. <laughs> He's only hugging Democrats, I guess I should say. I have a doctor who is my primary, is the most hugging person probably on earth to where my partner goes to her too. And is like, she's a hugger, you know, <laughs> a hugger. But it's like clear she's not, like he took it like, I think she has a crush on me. And I'm like, I think she's just a hugger and you're taking it the wrong way. Yeah, I mean, I think there are people that are like, we have a guy, you know, there's a guy in our group that's, he's, he's a super hugger. You know, every time you yes. see him, he wants to hug you. And I'm like, yeah. you know, hey, you got to earn mine. I'm not just giving them out like candy. So, <laughs> yes, because some people are not huggers. Like, right. um, like the five love languages, you know, like some people just like hugging. So I don't know, Joe. Well, I'm six foot six, so yeah. hugging is, you know, it's not a, it's not a tall dude thing. Yeah, it's you have to kind of the like, woman's very tall. Yeah, yeah otherwise totally. you look like lurch, you're all bent over and it's all. Yeah, and it looks creepy. Yeah, totally. So now if we got rid of lobbyists, what... Would that, like, should we get rid of lobbyists from what you've seen, all the, the scumbag things you've seen go on? Like, should lobbyists Well, I mean, it's, it's like unions. I mean, there's, there's good and there's bad. They're out there fighting for somebody. And there's a union for school teachers and nurses and, I mean, lobbyists for those groups as well. So I don't think you can throw everybody out. But, you know, we're in a weird time. I, I'm actually kind of curious what it's like to be a staffer in this era because nothing bipartisan is really happening. So I assume that mm. every office is just taking their lead from the leadership. You know, if, if Nancy Pelosi says you're opposing it or you're supporting it, that's what you do. I don't think staffers have a lot of input with the members. You know, there's a couple of wild cards every now and then that vote on the other side. But I think it's just got to be a weird time. Yeah. Like I say, I, I, I think, like I say, Mitch McConnell just says, here's how you're going to vote. And that's what they do. Because hmm. then they won't get help on their reelection campaign. Is that? You know, and, and like I say, and, and Schumer's doing the same thing and McCarthy's doing the same thing on the House. They're just, um, hmm. you know. There's interesting theories about the worthlessness of Congress these days anyway. Interesting. When did you decide to quit? When were you like, enough of this? I'd been up there about 10 years, and I just kind of, uh, one, it wasn't, one, it's horribly paying depending on the position you're in and depending what office you're in. So I wasn't making much money, and I just started looking around and, you know, got a better offer, mm. so I took it. I actually started with Capital Steps when I was uh, still working on the Hill. I joined the group back in 1993 as a part-time performer when I still when I was still working on the Hill. 
did your old bosses come to your come to your shows? <laughs> uh, yeah, actually, they both have. Uh, both of my ex bosses had seen the show at some point, and uh, they enjoyed it very much. You know, it's funny. Um, these guys, their egos are such that you know we're not crazy lambasting anybody. You know, we're we're definitely trying to burn them a little bit, but we're we want to be invited back. And um, you get into this weird thing where the politicians, if they don't get poked at or made a little bit of fun of, they get upset if they're in the audience because they feel like I'm a big, you know, I'm a big deal. They should be making, I should get a joke at my expense. And um, so that happened. Yeah. You know, we had, you know, Bob Dole famously, we had a song about him when he was peddling Viagra. And uh, he was at one of our shows and we said, you know, hey, we got this song, you know, we do, would you mind if we did it? And he supposedly one of, of a very famous, you know, sense of humor was always Bob Dole's thing. He just turned and said, if you did a song, I'm out of here. So Bob Dole, Bob Dole. So, <laughs> so we didn't do it. Oh, wow. <laughs> wow. Yeah, that's, that's really interesting. I found that when I'm doing performing as Melania Trump, certain audiences, mainly like mm-hmm. audiences of rich white Republicans have so much ego that they don't want you to joke about anything but like them. That's like yeah, we, the only joke that they want to laugh at is like about yeah. them and all their money and how much money they have. And <laughs> that's when they're like engaged. They're like, and oh, you see Yes. Oh, their au pair couldn't make it tonight. So I had to get somebody else. <laughs> you know, that kind of attitude. Yeah, absolutely. Tell us what Capital Steps is. Capital Steps, it's a uh, political satire troupe. There's about 30 of us mix and match. And we do mostly political satire through song parody. So Weird Al meets satire kind of thing. Uh, we do a few spoken sketches as well, but mostly it's songs. We started back in 1981 as a Senate office Christmas party. The legend has that we wanted to do a traditional nativity play, but in all of Congress, we couldn't find three wise men or a virgin. <laughs> Oldest joke in the book. Uh, and then like everything else in Washington, we spun painfully out of control. It's a full-time gig for us now. Uh, we do... Well, this year is obviously an oddity because COVID's canceled so much. But, you know, in, a, in an election year, we might do 500 shows all around the country. So usually three guys, two women, and a pianist. And that's kind of our thing. Cool. And where do you perform? We have a home base in Washington. We play at the Ronald Reagan Building, the amphitheater there. And then we just play everywhere across the country. Theaters, a lot of university auditoriums. You know, we'll go down to Florida and do three or four weeks sometimes in a small you know, kind of black box theater. We're pretty portable, can kind of do the show anywhere. And then uh, we have a lot of shows uh, in D.C. for associations and things like that, you know, just in a ballroom, kind of after dinner entertainment. That's so interesting. So uh, how do you guys kind of go on this line? Because when I'm booking stuff with Melania, people are like very, very scared. So anything that my, any organization that has, like especially nonprofits and things like that, they are very, very timid and working for us. How do you guys get people to work with you? Yeah, well, we, we've made it very clear, and, and like I say, we're going on almost 40 years now, that we are equal opportunity offenders. So mm-hmm. we're not just going to bash one side or the other. You know, if you're, a, if you're a hardcore Trump supporter and you're upset that we're picking on him for two or three songs, don't worry, because Biden's going to come out next, or Hillary, or, you know, Pelosi, or whoever. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we do make kind of a concerted effort to be to very, yeah. very even-handed, unless, of course... You know, we do have clients occasionally that just say, hey, you know, we are hardcore left, we're hardcore right, we want all the stuff, bashing Trump and the Republicans, and that's fine too. But as a general matter, when it's just a group hires us that's not, you know, the Maryland Democratic Party or something like that, we, uh, 
we do a little bit of even-handed bashing. Got it. Got it. Do the Republicans hire you? Oh, yeah, they, they do. Both sides do. But, you know, you do get people uh, this era that I would say corporate gigs, more importantly, just kind of said, you know, the, the Trump thing, people started getting so left and right uh, with no middle yeah. that a lot of corporate gigs, I think, were getting canceled just because people were like, you know, we just don't want politics you yes. know, coming, into our, coming into our meeting at all. Uh, we'd rather have a juggler, you know, groups that would have hired us for 10, 15 years just kind of said, yeah, let's just, let's put a hold on it. for the I'd say that's so true. And I found that as well. Like corporates are petrified of anything political or scandalous. So one person puts out a tweet or like a joke that's out of context. And then they're like in the, in the shitter, especially the person who yeah. organizes the event. I found even like, like I have a college speaking agent and they're like, this Melania thing is not going to fly at all either because colleges can't even handle like things that are political and you guys get away with it. You're saying you, you do college auditoriums. We do, but we've also had some colleges that have given us blowback before. We used to do, they were called like the colonial welcomes or something. It was for American university down in DC. And we do like mm -hmm. four shows when the incoming freshmen would come and, uh, or I'm sorry, it was, yeah, it was GW. And um, we used to do an airline security skit where it was, you know, typical guy saying, you know, you could be pulled out randomly, but it's only the good looking woman gets pulled out randomly. And he starts, you know, groping or going over. And the end joke was that her ID said her name was like Ken. Can't remember exactly what it was. But that she was a transvestite and she's, you know, still kind of a man. And so the joke was on him that he thought he was groping a woman, but the school had one student that got blowback that was claiming that we were making fun of transvestites. So yeah, that's just kind of the yeah. campus thing. And, you know, it, it kind of festered for a while and we just didn't do the song. And then we kind of said, you know, we're not going to be invited back, I bet, because who wants to put up with that? Even if it's only a couple students, it's just why, why bring in somebody that's going to cause you hassles? So that happened. Dang. So that happened. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, it seems, yeah. Subject of, uh, you know, uh, yeah. because the subject of a joke getting mixed up with the content of a joke, which is not about what that, it happens. Yeah, it's definitely, uh, it's, it's a minefield for sure. Uh, when you're performing at colleges or speaking at colleges, like literally everything you do is picked through in a way that an audience would maybe give you a little bit of leeway and the benefit of the doubt that you're not trying to be transphobic to the trans community that you're actually trying to put the joke on. Yeah. And it's just, it, and in colleges, like there's no tolerance for that. But on the other hand, it's like, you know, they're trying to, it's like this man, like where are the lines? I'm not sure, right. um, but I'm not going to be the performer be to figure a, that out. <laughs> <laughs> but it is, it is, it's a weird line of can, can they not be mentioned? Can they not be in a skit? Um, yeah. And I, also like, this is a time where like, yeah, people say freedom of speech, like where, like there's a big discussion about that right now, but there's never been a time where white supremacists have such freedom to speak and walk around spewing hatred like they have now too. So people are kind of on edge and it's like, I, I don't yeah, have grossly, grossly misplaced confidence in a lot of those folks, huh? Yeah, totally. Um, <laughs> but but I'm just like, they're not exactly superior. I'm not going to be around to help you all figure it out. <laughs> I'll let it just go perform for audiences. Uh, yeah. So now do you still get gossip from Capitol Hill? No, not really. We don't have anybody that works on the Hill any longer. You know, since we're pretty much a full-time yeah. kind of thing, I was, I think I was the last person 
for a while that, that was still working on the Hill and doing this. And then we had a gal just recently, last four or five years, she was still working on the Hill. She was very, very part-time for us, but she was still on the Hill as well. But as of now, we don't have yeah. anybody. So then can you, did you incorporate any of her stories into your sketches? Like, can you do that? Not really. I mean, you know, you know if it's something that's that inside baseball, you know, maybe a DC crowd might get something, but you know, our, we kind of pride our show again. It works in DC. It works in Peoria. It works wherever. Yeah. So we use pretty broad strokes as far as the stories and the players. You know, we're not going to pick out some, you know, congressman that's on some minority committee somewhere that nobody's ever heard of except in his district uh, and yeah. do a bit about him because something might be funny that he did in a, in a meeting that seven people saw in C-SPAN. Um, yeah. So we keep it pretty, like I say, our show is, you know, Trump and Pence and Biden. Yeah, the big people. Putin, you know, the big, the big characters. Got it. Got it. All right. So I'm curious how you guys have adopted to COVID. What have your, how has that changed we, when you're doing it? It's changed everything for us. We haven't performed since, I want to say, March 11th, when everything kind of popped. We had a cast going to Florida for a couple of weeks, and that all got pulled. And we have had nothing. We have done no shows. We haven't rehearsed. We haven't really even thought about the show since then. And um, wow. I, I don't suspect, uh, if anything, much will happen for the rest of the year. Uh, you know, all these states that have limited capacities and stuff. We might have a venue that's 1,200 seats. And they say, well, we're going to have 300 for the show. And then, that's not- and, then, and then the finances don't work. And how bizarre as a comedy troupe to go out into a huge hall and have... 300 people spread out over 1200 seats yeah. in masks and, and try to entertain them. And then let alone somebody in the audience call and that really freaked out. Yeah. yeah. I think I'd probably poop my pants and run off stage at that. Moment. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's, it's strange. So how much of your shows improvised? Not a whole lot. Oh, there's some, but you know, it's, it's pretty much scripted. And again, because so much of it is singing uh, that obviously can't be improvised. Occasionally, you know, some of the talking, you know, especially with Trump, I mean, you can go off on tangents left and right. That's so interesting because that's just Because like, he says almost anything. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. Yeah, he's got the best words, like terrific words. I could use them all the time. <laughs> but I really think that you know, the ambiguousness of all these statute teardowns is just terrible. I mean, I, I don't know if I, we don't need masks. My toilet doesn't flush well at home either. I don't know what's going on, but bigly. You know, just, he just blah, 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 blah. Yeah, just yeah, words yeah. Out. yeah, absolutely. So let's, um, Melania has a question and you do a few different care, not just Donald, you do the Clintons, Bush Jr. So we're going to talk to Clinton and Bush Jr. Let's, um, and if Donald of course wants to say something, he can jump into, um, great. So Melania has a question for Bill Clinton. Hello, hello, Mark of the Eaton and you do the capital steps. Um, I like to get my steps in. So I like your troop already. All right. So I like to, I would like to get out more but they really have the White House on the lock. Usually what I do, I had, I had a escape, not escape, I want to say get out for a night plan and then come back for, I was going to do the Melania Trump Roadshow, but then it canceled because of the COVID. So I want to know then how can I get, right now it's blocked off, Bill, how can I get a key to the Bill Clinton booty call tunnel because they put a lock on it and I think you perhaps have a, still have a key to it. Well, I'll tell you, darling, uh, <laughs> yeah, there is a very simple way to get in there. I'm not sure you're willing to pay the price. It's a key. Some people would call it a key. Uh, perhaps some would call it a large fob. <laughs> but um, 
if you would like to, we could probably arrange a, a private meeting somewhere uh, or we could discuss getting into the beauty palace of Bill Clinton. Bill, I've had clients just like you. I know what you're all about. Don't even try to put me in the corners, okay? Listen, don't even, don't look at me. The only place you put the cigar is in your mouth when you're around me. You got that, the Bill? Oh, uh, then there'll be two things smoking in that room, honey. <laughs> oh, Bill. Let me be the first smoke I do in years. Okay, but listen, do you have, do you actually have a key? I'm not sure if I believe you. Uh, I'm afraid not. I mean, um, I'm afraid my key is actually uh, in the possession of Hillary at this point, because as you know, it takes a village to keep me from banging every broad out there. Ah, I should have known because you haven't presented yourself in my bedroom at night. So I should have known you don't have key. You can't get back in. Well, uh, I got some Secret Service connections. I mean, if you want to make it happen, honey, I can get in there. Trust me. Oh, I want to get out, Bill. Ah, see, there's the there's the conundrum. Hmm. Hmm. We might have to see if we can come up with some kind of disguise or something hmm. for you. Or maybe I can get to Hillary. That's the one. I will call Hillary instead. You give me the best advice. Bye, Bill. Thank you. Bye, honey. Take care. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Oh, I wish you could do Hillary. We like get her talking <laughs> Hillary. All right. So um, somehow I don't think a man doing Hillary would have uh, would, yeah, would, would go off for, very well at all. Yeah, yeah, yeah. get her particular tenor. <laughs> um, all right. So let's get to Bush Jr. Melania has a question for him. All right, Bush Jr. of the juniors, I believe you have some maybe some understanding for me because you are also like Donald, a wealthy son who then got ushered into the presidency. So what do you predict for the 2020? Is it possible for Donald to lose or do the families make sure everything okay and you do second term? Well, you know, look, I, I, I'm just a fellow who uh, appreciates a little self-defecating humor every now and then. I'm not really a, a spinjally when it comes to crystal ball and any election or anything like that. But I would like to make a note that uh, I made money myself, darling. You got to remember, I owned a baseball team. And that's how I got my money. I didn't get it from daddy. I got a huge loan to start just like Donald did. But uh, the rest of it I did on my own uh, because uh, people in the Republican Party paid an outrageous amount of money for the Texas Rangers so that I could be rich the rest of my life. But uh, I've been going on, and i got to be honest with you. I can't remember for the last of me what you even asked me in the first place. <laughs> well, you know, listen, we all have fantasies, George, just like uh, my modeling career. But what I want to know is Donald might have tantrum. I am afraid what he'd do if he have second term and all of the ability to do whatever he wants because he doesn't have to care about the re-election. Or I'm afraid he'd big tantrum at the end. If he lose, he have the tantrum to end all tantrums. Yeah, he'd be like one of those fellers that doesn't want to wear a mask at Costco. You know, they'd be dragging him out of there. He'd be screaming and hollering. He'd be throwing stuff. Mm. Uh, probably poop on the White House, you know, rug on the way out the door kind of thing. I got to be honest with you. I, I, I can't quite wrap my brain around Trump uh, having a second term. And I can't wrap my head around the fact that Joe Biden could possibly be president either. So uh, mm. I don't know what we're going to do. Maybe it'll be a tie. And uh, we'll just let uh, some random person run the country for a while. Whatever it is, I just hope I don't have to be first lady. What a drag to take pictures with poor people. Okay, so I'm, I'm going to look for that. I think you make an important point that if he loses, then I will make a note to have spa appointments the day we leave so I don't have to see the tantrum. 
Very good. Thank you so much. Call and, get the, and get the rug scotch garden while you're at it. <laughs> All right. Oh, I'll leave that to the next first lady. As if I actually do any of my own housekeeping. Very cute, George. Okay, go back to your paintings. Also cute. Very bad. Oh, thank you. Bye. Bye. <laughs> All right. So um, where can we learn more about the Capital Steps? You can learn more about us at capsteps.com, which is our website. We've got some songs on there you can download if you care to. Uh, we've also got some videos on YouTube. We have a YouTube channel. Unfortunately, like I say, we haven't done anything uh, new in, in nine months or so. So that's kind of a drag. But uh, you can see what we're all about. And, uh, you know, we have a, on our website also we have our lives of appearances, which we're not going to have probably any appearances this year. But uh, you can see where we're going to be next year. Maybe we're going to be in your town. Come by and see us. Yeah. So you're not, you will be there at some point. That's a fact. Yeah, I mean, we can't imagine that we're not going to ever tour again. Uh, we assume that there will be some kind of COVID vaccine at some point. If not, uh, you know, us and a lot of other actors and uh, Broadway shows and things like that are going to have some hard times ahead of us. Yes, I, I hear you. I hear you. Um, the joy of being stuffed into a comedy club, you know, with <laughs> 20 of your closest friends at a three-foot circle your old table is... Uh, uh, which I don't know the, if that's ever coming back. Yeah, I know, which is the best way for comedy to happen. Exactly. So fingers crossed and <laughs> uh, fingers and toes and everything else crossed that we could figure out a way to do it safely very soon. And then in the meantime, people can catch up with you guys on YouTube. So thank you so much for coming on Reconcile the Isle. And we'll hey, thank you. I appreciate you having me. Good luck with everything. Okay, thank you. So, Melania, are you tempted to join the Cap Steps? Oh, no, that requires working. But, Melania, you'd be in the spotlight. Oh, that requires standing. Oh, I forgot. You do your best work on your back. Okay, how about you just give us the stories from the White House that you've been overhearing and seeing and experiencing, and we will put them on the stage. Oh, no, that requires talking, which causes wrinkles. Right, Melania, just stay there. Just sit right there and say and do nothing. Oh no, include Pilates, and that's a great idea. For the rest of us, let's think about this. It is possible to create bipartisan comedy. The capital steps are living proof. You just gotta adjust some things, and depends on your style, maybe you're willing to do that. Let me know what you think. Before we go into the I Don't Care Do You segment, I'd like to do two things. First, I want to encourage everyone to subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. It really, 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 really helps other people find us. Second, I want to tell you that you can follow Reconcile the Isle on my Twitter and Instagram, at Lauren Logie, L-O-G-I. And do consider signing up at laurenlogie.com slash podcast to get reminders when we publish this every other week. And also on my website, you can find out some other exciting things going on. My book, Inside Melania, What I Learned About Melania Trump by Impersonating Her, is coming out now. It's out now. And we're going to be on tour with the Melania Trump Show in some sort of form, in virtual shows, throughout the fall, and then hopefully in person in the spring. Go to themelaniashow.com to find out about that. And also, everything is always going to be on my website, laurenlogie.com. Listen, we have to learn how to have public dialogue again. The world's on fire, and we've got to talk about it. And there is no better way to understand the importance of this than by reading the headlines. So, Melania, give us the top headlines in the I Don't Care Do You segment. Here's all the things that I don't care do you about. California wildfires are raging. The driver of UPS is accused of highway shootings in Oregon. And Donald's sister is on recording saying he a liar with no principles. (laughs) But I don't care. Do you? 
Thank you to everyone who has made this podcast possible. Thank you to Sophia Reyes-Jones for editing, to Devin Edwards for creating the intro, Christopher Catalano for the voiceover, Maddie McLennan for making the podcast start, and a shout-out to Alan Waters, Danny Holt, and Craig Franson, who helped me to conceptualize this podcast. And, of course, thank you to Mark Eaton for being such a wonderful guest. See you in two weeks.